So tonight we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 8 through 12 as we continue in our journey through the uh, 1 Peter. The title of the message is, It's Time for Your Spiritual Checkup. As we approach the Lord's table tonight, the Lord always promises us that he'll examine us, and this is a good text to allow the Lord to examine us. And so let's pray and let's see what the Lord has for us. And so, Father, once again, Lord, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. You are holy, and Lord, we're not. Lord, we thank you for your grace, Lord, that you saved us, that you have forgiven us, Lord, by sending your son Jesus to to take our place, to, to um, Lord, take our sin upon himself and die as our substitute and our sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for the proof of the resurrection. Lord, just today I was talking to somebody about Islam and Christianity, Lord, and we just thank you so much for the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that our faith is based upon truth and fact and it's reality, Lord. We thank you that we can rest upon that, Lord, regardless of what comes our way, whether storms or or rain, or, or whatever, Lord. They, though they may be on the house, or we're, we can stand because we're in you. And so, Lord, just pray that you continue to remind us of these things and encourage us and, and draw us closer and make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, are you one of those people that dodges physicals each year? Now, after all, it's been said, going to the doctor, that's the problem, really it is. Because that's when everything really goes wrong, Right? Now, while going to a physical can leave us kind of bummed out with bad news, it, it could also be helpful and maybe even might be life-saving in some cases. Now, tonight I want to approach this passage as a spiritual physical. And so tonight as we spend time in the Lord's Word, we're going to allow Jesus, who the Bible calls the great physician, to search us, to, to know us. And as we spend time at the Lord's table, we're told by the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we're to examine ourselves, And so we're to allow the Lord to search us, to, to check us. And so as we go into this spiritual, this spiritual physical tonight, we're going to see that it consists of the following checks. The Lord is going to check our mind. He's going to check our heart. He's going to check our reflexes in certain areas. He's going to check our mouth and our tongue. And then after these things, the Lord is going to give us some, a great and amazing spiritual Insight and also a, a prescription to live a spiritually healthy Christian life, which we're told in verse 10 is described as the following, loving life and seeing good days. And so that's, that's good stuff right there. We, we want that kind of Christian life. And so the Lord says, hey, allow me to search you. Allow me to know you. Let me reveal things in your life and let me get you back on track. And then here, take my advice. Take this prescription and follow these things and you'll live this healthy, abundant, spiritual life. So as we work through these verses and look at this spiritual physical, we'll focus on two things tonight. Number one, the status of our spiritual health. And number two, the practical advice to maintain a healthy spiritual life. So let's begin with our checkup tonight in verses eight through nine. And as we look at this, we're going to see the status of our health. Now, it's too late. You can't get out of this physical now. And you don't want to get out of this physical because the Lord is going to reveal to us some great and amazing things. The Lord begins with our mind. You know, sometimes physicals, they have you kind of do that thing. I'm always afraid that I'm just going to fall over. You know, they have you lean your head back and put your arms out and, you know, they check your brain and all that. And the Lord, in a sense, does that with our spiritual mind. And he says in verse 8, Finally, all of you be of one 
mind. To stop there, he says, hey, listen, I'm going to focus on your mind for a second. That's what the Apostle Peter says. Now, finally, doesn't mean that Peter is done with his epistle. Obviously not, because, you know, we have two more chapters to go. Nor is Peter one of those pastors who says, okay, I'm done now. And then 45 minutes later, 45 minutes later, he's finally done kind of thing. If I could say this, I would. And so I'm going to. No, Peter doesn't do that. But Peter is referring back to a theme that he began in chapter two, which is Christian conduct. And there beginning in verse one of chapter two, Peter began talking about Christian conduct and how you and I as pilgrims of Jesus Christ are to walk through this world, how we're to represent the Lord. He talked about being holy for God is holy. He talked about living a submissive life, both to our employers, to our government, and also to our spouses. And he really gave us the heart behind all this. He says, you're to do this because you're to be a witness and a worshiper. And as you do these things, as you live out these things, your life is going to shine forth with the glory of God. Now, Peter turns his attention to us now, and he talks about you and I in our relationship with other believers. He's going to talk a little bit about our relationship with the world and loving others in uh, verses uh, 10 through 12. But right now, he kind of focuses, us, focuses on us in the body of Christ, in the church. He says, concerning our relationships, that we're to be of one mind. We're to be of one mind. I'm told the word be of one mind in Greek implies a deep unity of both thought and feelings. It's a word, I'm told it's actually hard to express, but most commentators express it as a deep unity of thought and feeling. And that's the way we are to be as believers. Yes, we're to have the same focus and the same mission and vision and, and direction as the Lord leads us to his word. But it goes even deeper than that. It goes down to our very heart. It, it, it goes into our mind in the sense that we're to have a deep longing to love one another and to minister one to another. Now, it's important that we have this mind because it's really a sign of a, of, of a healthy spiritual life. A unhealthy spiritual mind forgets what God says in his word and doesn't apply them. And so Peter begins by saying, okay, hey, listen, be of one mind. And then he's going to go on and tell us what it means to have this sensitivity as we walk in compassion, as we walk in love, as we walk in uh, courtesy uh, to one another. But it really begins by just coming to the reality, okay, the Lord has things in his word and I need to hear them. I need to apply them. And as I do that, then we will be one body. We, you know, we will be of one mind. James really speaks of the opposite in his epistle. He said the guy who doesn't have a healthy mind in the Lord is one who looks at himself in the mirror and then as soon as he leaves, he forgets what he saw. That's not a very good mind, right? Early stages of Alzheimer's or whatever. Oh, however you pronounce it. I can never pronounce it right. But, you know, that's not good. You know? I mean, you look in the mirror and think, what did I just see? I forgot. I mean, that's not good. You either smoked too much weed in the past or, you know, or, you know, or, you know, or you got something going on there. But, you know, but a, a, a non-healthy mind forgets what, what, you know, what the Lord says. And, and so we need to make sure that we apply what the Lord says, that we don't forget it, that when the Lord speaks, we apply it. And by doing so, you and I will be united as one. James also gave another example of a unhealthy mind in his epistle bad mental condition here. He calls it a divided mind or a double mind. And he says that person who has that is unstable in all of his ways. Now, obviously the context 
is referring to the, the promises of God and resting in God and, and seeking after God and the person who doubts. You know, and so, and so it's talking about trusting God, laying hold of God's promises and, and walking after him. So the Lord gives us a lot of good insight about the mind, specifically that we're to be of one mind with one another. So we're to allow God to test our mind because he wants us to be spiritually focused on each other and also him. Now the Lord moves on to our heart, which is really the center of you and I and our spiritual walk. In the rest of verse 8, he says, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. And so the first check of our heart has to do with compassion. You know, if you get your heart checked, you know, they hook up all these crazy things to you and you know, they want to see certain things, right, when they look at your heart. They don't want to look at your heart and think like, hmm, that's not good kind of thing. You know, there, there are certain things that, that got to check out. In the same way for you and I, as we let the Lord examine our heart, Peter says, hey, there are certain things that we want to see here if you, if you have a healthy heart in the Lord. And the first thing is compassion. Now, the word compassion can be translated sympathy, which really means to suffer with, to suffer with people. Sympathy implies a closeness of sharing one another's burdens and blessing. And it's not unique to just Peter. Paul talked about that as well in his epistles. In Romans 12, 15, and also 1 Corinthians 12, 26, we're told as believers that we're to rejoice with one another, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, answer the phone with those who answer the phone. <laughs> we're, to, we're to have all these things in common. You know, actually, me and my wife, we actually have that. It's kind of freaky. Somehow our, our Apple account got all messed up. And so, you know, someone calls my wife on my phone actually rings. And so it's like that unity thing going on there. It's, it's pretty amazing. And so, and so you and I, as a body of Christ, we're to be one like that. That's how we're to be. We're to share one another's burdens. We're to care, truly care for one another. Now, I'm good at being sympathetic for myself. I'm very good at that. It, you know, I, I do well playing the smallest violin ever me. You know, kind of thing is, is I feel sorry for myself and, and things like that. But rather the Lord says, as you grow in me, as your heart grows stronger, you're really going to take your eyes off yourself and you're going to put them on others. You're going to start being more sympathetic to others needs. You're going to start being more concerned and, and caring for others needs. And that's what Christ really gave us an example of. He's called the sympathetic high priest. And that's one of the great examples of Jesus in the, in, in the Gospels. As you see the Lord, he's walking through, he sees these multitudes who haven't eaten, and the Lord had compassion on them. He had sympathy on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he says, hey guys, let's, let's park here for a while. Let's minister to them. And the disciples said, Lord, we're hungry. We need to go home. And the Lord says, no, you guys are missing it. Obviously, they missed his power, but he wanted to teach them something else about his compassion, about his sympathy. The Lord was able, willing to leave heaven and come to earth and take up the form of a man, you know, and, and die for us on the cross because he was sympathetic with us. He understood our weakness. He understood our frame and the fact that we needed someone to die in our place as our sacrifice and our substitute. And the Lord now is calling you and I as Christians to walk in that example. He's calling us to take our eyes off ourselves and care for people, to put others' needs before ourselves. Now, the second heart check that we need to look at has to do with our love for other believers. Now, all these things kind of fit in uh, with one another, but nevertheless, each one is kind of unique in itself. We're to love others as our brothers. 
And that's what Peter commands us here. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ as if we were to love our own family. Now, this might be a hard concept for some of you because you really don't love your own biological brothers and sisters, right? You're like, oh, that's easy for me, right? I don't really like them anyways. And so, which is a wrong attitude. You, you, you know, you, you should love them. But, you know, but, but nevertheless, we understand what Peter's saying here. And, you know, and think about it. How would you want your brother or your sister to love you? Well, obviously I want them to care for me. I want them to, to see, you know, if, if I'm down, to come alongside of me and help me to have concern and compassion. In the same way for the, for the Christian, for the body of Christ, that's what we're to be like. We're a big family here. And we're to love one another with that close-knit love, that, that um, Philadelphia love that brothers and sisters have. And this is how the body of Christ functions. Now, we need to be careful that we don't fall into the common thinking that the church is just a club that I join. Kind of like Costco, right? Costco's a, a, really a crazy place when you, when you step back and think about it. So here I am, I, I have my membership in the Costco, and I come in. We all kind of have this stuff going on in common, right? We don't run over each other. You know, we're, we're, we're there to get the samples, get the hot dog, the churro, and the, the soda. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're there. We have stuff in common. We kind of have the same focus, but we're, but we're still independent of one another. So I go there, and I, I get my stuff. I, I get it for me, and I'm good. Grind my coffee, and, and I leave. And I don't, I'm not really concerned what everybody else has you know, but we leave. And sometimes we think of the church like that. We think, okay, I'm going to come to church because I'm going to be fed and I'm going to minister. And when I'm done, I got my coffee, good Calvary half a cup of coffee, got my breakfast burrito. And so I'm gone, I'm done. And so I'm going to leave and I'm going to go off and, and do something else. And it, it's easy to think like that, but the church is, is deeper than that. It's like coming home to a family, you know, and it's rude to just go into your family's house and eat and grab a cup of coffee and leave, right? You're there to fellowship. You, you know, you're, you're there to love and to, and to hear and to express and to, and to um, you know, minister and things like that. And that's the way the church is. We're a spiritual house, which implies unity. We're a spiritual family. We're a spiritual body, which even more implies unity. Our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is important. It's important for us and following the word, but it's important to the world because Jesus said, this is how all the world is going to know that you're my disciples by this love that you have for one another. Now we have a third heart check that we can look at. It's a tender heart. It's a tender heart. The tender heart is in contrast to the hard heart. It's contrast to the callous heart, the cold heart, the cynical heart. Now, this sounds really bad, but living in our world is actually easy that our heart can actually start leaning towards these things and these conditions. It's possible as a Christian that our heart can actually start leaning towards these conditions as we're hurt by someone, maybe even a brother and sister in the Lord, or we have a heart broken by a brother and sister in the Lord. You know, and your heart's broken, and you think, okay, and your heart begins to grow callous to these things. You're like, I'm not really going to open up my heart to people anymore because I don't want to be hurt. And the Lord says, no, that's, that's not what I want for you at all. Your heart needs to stay sensitive. It needs to stay open because the Lord wants you to minister and, and, and share your feelings and, and minister one to another. The way that we remain in this sensitive condition is by repenting of our sin and drawing near to the Lord. The Lord promises us in his word that he will take away this heart of flesh and give our, excuse me, a heart of stone and give us his heart of flesh. It's a sensitive heart that we're washed by the water of the word 
As the Lord plows the ground, right, the good soil, as he sows the seed, the good soil is is fertile. It's not the hard ground that the seed falls by the wayside, but it's the the tilled up ground. And that's what the Lord does to our heart as we remain close to him, as he convicts us. And as he pours out his water of the word, it continually makes our heart tender and and, and, and able to receive and then to, to give out. Our fourth heart check is whether we're courteous or not. Now, if you have a newer translation, such as the ESV, NESB, or the NLT, um, you have the word humble here rather than courteous. But really, these things fit together here. And William MacDonald, who I like, does a good job in kind of showing us how these words kind of fit together. So whatever translation you have, it's kind of communicating the, the same thing. Here's what he says concerning the courteous heart and mind. He's essentially, it means humbly thinking of others, putting others first, and saying and doing the gracious thing. Courtesy serves others before self, jumps at opportunities to assist, and expresses prompt appreciation for kindness received. It's the heart that the Lord wants us to have. That's the mind that the Lord wants us to have. And once again, there's no other greater example that I can point to or even think of than Jesus. I mean, think of the night... There, the Lord knows he's going to go to the cross. I would be thinking about myself in that time, sadly. But the Lord wasn't. He, there he came up to the upper room. He was excited about taking the Passover, which was turned into communion with his disciples. And there he came in and he realized that nobody took the place of the lowest servant and washed each other's feet. He recognized that. Now, he was going to use this as a teaching opportunity, but I believe that he was genuinely courteous. He was genuinely a servant. And he grabbed that basin of water, he grabbed that towel, and went around and washed his disciples' feet. Man, what love. What, I mean, it blew Peter's mind. Peter said, Lord, you're not going to do this to me. And, and because it was such an amazing thing that the Lord did to express his love and his servanthood to them. And that's how we're to act towards one another. The Lord says, if you follow my example, well, then you're, bl- you're blessed. If I your, ser- if I, your Lord and your master, have done these things, well, then if you're my servant, then you also ought to do these things follow in my example. We're to love one another. We're to put others' needs before ourselves, and we're to walk after the Lord. So once again, if you hooked up an EKG machine to your heart, you would want to see certain things. And in the same sense, as we approach the word, we want to see these certain things coming forth from our heart, from our lives. Third, we're to look at our reflexes. The Lord checks our reflexes here. And we see that in the first part of verse nine. The Lord says here, not reviling evil for evil, not reviling evil for evil, right? You know, as something hits you, how, how are you going to respond, right? You know, it taps you on the shoulder and you knock the doctor out kind of thing. And so, you know, if someone does evil to us, now Peter's kind of taking it out of the realm of the church. I, I guess it can apply to the church too, you know, whether the church or, or the world. But if someone does evil to you, our reflex, if we're walking in spiritual health, is not to revile evil back to them, but rather it's to do the opposite. We're to see where to respond in love. Paul teaches the same thing in Romans 12, 19 through 21. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. 
For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so that should be our reflexes, right? As they hit your leg, you want to see certain reflexes. And the same thing for the believer. As evil things happen to us, yes, it's easy to jump in the flesh and respond in evil. But the Lord says you're not to respond in evil. You're to respond in good, in, in kindness, in love. Now the Lord moves on now to our mouth, checks our mouth, pulls out that wood thing, whatever it is, right? And checks our mouth, looks at us. Or reviling, or, or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So reviling refers now not just to evil actions, but to evil speech. When someone slanders you, when someone gossips about you, when someone lies about you, when someone backbites you. Hurts your feelings. And often things we think, you know, oftentimes we think, okay, well, I'm going to get back to them. I'm pretty good at this. I have a flesh, you know, kind of thing. The Lord doesn't want us to respond like that. But rather, on the contrary, notice this, on the contrary, we're to respond in blessing. To bless means to do good. We're to respond in love and humility just as the Bible says. And if you think it's your choice whether you're going to do this or not, Peter makes it very clear and says, it's actually your calling to do this. You can't escape your calling. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, right, in the scriptures. And so Jeremiah was called to preach the word, and he didn't want to, and he says that the fire was in his bones. He had to. In the same sense, for the believer, you might choose to revile back. You might choose to want to do evil back, but the Lord says, you're not going to get away with it. You're my child. And the Lord has called you to live like this, and so the Lord is going to work in your heart so you can live like this. And if he's called you to do it, then he's also given you the power to do it. This is our calling. We're to represent Christ in this way. Just as Christ was reviled and responded in love and gave us that example, even so we're to do the same. Notice this, that you may inherit a blessing. And so, yes, we're to be a light and a witness, but there's also practical reasons to do it. And the Lord says, because he's going to bless us for it. Our heart is going to stay pure. We're not going to let bitterness creep into our heart and steal our joy. But also, I believe just very basically, the Lord says, I'm going to bless you for doing it. And so if the Lord says, I'm going to bless you for doing it, well, then I want the Lord to bless me for doing it, right? And so, you know, and so the, the Lord says, hey, walk in my word, and there'll be a blessing from him. And now, this brings us to our second point as we talk about blessing. In verses 10 to 12, we're given some practical advice to maintain a healthy spiritual life. Verse 10, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now, Peter here quotes in verses 10 to 12 from Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. And I like this because Peter, he's talking about all these things, and now he takes the scripture, which is really a proof text to what he's saying. And so, um, you know, really, the first two verses are actually the, the, the summary or the teaching on these verses, these verses here as, as Peter is applying them. And so Peter, he's a man of the word. And as we have been going through this epistle, we've seen that Peter's been taking verses here and there and taking these things and letting the Spirit of God apply them to the believer's hearts. And now he takes this scripture from Psalm 34 and he applies it to the believers and let them know about walking in blessing, about walking in this um, separated life. He begins by saying that it's based upon the free will of the believer, for he who would love life. And so it really begins with your choice. You have a choice. Just as 
you know, practical reasons. You know, you have a choice what you're going to eat and whether good or bad. And in the same way in the spiritual life, we have a choice. We can choose to feed the flesh or we can choose to feed the spiritual man. We can choose to walk in the spirit or we can choose to walk in the flesh. And as we walk in the spirit, it's going to, you know, create a, a spiritual health in our life. Now, we're not promised, though, health and wealth doctrine. Don't get me wrong. That's not what we're talking about at all, as some falsely teach. But it's a spiritual health. It's a, it's a um, strengthening in the inner man, as Paul says in his epistles. And so he says it's our choice. Now, those who desire to love life and see good days need to make the right choice. They need to follow after the Lord's word. To love life means to see God's hand working through the circumstances of our life. To see good days does not mean to live a pampered life apart from problems. Obviously not because the Psalms are filled with problems. You know, and that's not even the context of Psalm 34. But to see good days means to, to experience um, God's blessing in our life in life's problems. To experience answered prayers because our, light, our, our heart is going to be aligned with him. It means to taste and know that the Lord is good. It means to draw near to the Lord in times and, and, and have a sense that he'll help you in times of need. So it's all these things. It's that intimacy that, that we all want, that blessing. And it begins with seeking after the Lord and draw near to him. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And so those who want this spiritually healthy and blessed life are those who need to turn to God away from sin. It's one, it's one big turn, right? I'm going to turn to sin, and as I turn from sin, I turn to God. And as I do so, it's, it's what I need for a strong, healthy spiritual life. I need to seek peace and pursue it. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. It's in contrast to strife, stirring up drama, right? Always, you know, there's some people who always look for drama, and things. The Lord says, no, I want you to be a peacemaker. I want you to be one who seeks after me, who seeks to love others and minister to others. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So besides turning from sin and living a blessed life, Peter reminds us that our, our walk in righteousness determines our intimacy with God. The person living in sin is living an unhealthy spiritual life. And because of that, they're not going to be close to the Lord. And, but those who are, are walking with the Lord, those who are righteous, the Lord is open to our prayers. He hears us. And the reason why he hears us is because our heart is going to be in line with him. The Lord says, if we ask anything according to his will, the Lord hears us. And he'll answer these things. And so you and I, we want to thrive, right, in our spiritual life. The way we do so is by seeking the Lord daily, allowing him to check us and point out those areas that we're falling short. But also it's by taking his advice and his prescription to live out the Christian life. Daily.